brokers separately are are not out of the loop if if there are misdeclarations to customs that lead to underpayment of ADCBD. Welcome to Simply Trade, brought to you by Global Training Center. My name is Lalo, and together with my co-host Andy, we have well over 60 years of combined trade, logistics, and supply chain experience. Along the way, we have seen and witnessed different challenges in trade compliance. We decided to put the show together and call on our friends and colleagues in the business to hang out with us and share their knowledge in all things trade. Thank you for spending some time with us. Enjoy the show. Hey, Andy, I think in today's show, we're getting ready to open a big can of worms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this topic is just going to probably just trickle on to quite a few more episodes uh, in, in down the line, you know, but we have lined up a couple of guests that, that are heavily into uh, anti-dumping and countervailing duties. And so that's what I mean by opening up a can of worms. It's just you don't, never know what you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Well, with uh, anti-dumping, ADD, as they would say, anti-dumping duties and countervailing duties, CBD, that is a heavy topic. It doesn't apply to everything, but so the frequency may not be there as far as a lot of commodities, but the risk is astronomical if you do not handle and declare properly commodities that you're importing that uh, have anti-dumping or countervailing uh, uh, cases against them and as such with the entries and and all. So we're gonna get to hear firsthand from an attorney's perspective of uh, how serious this is. And and so you need to be looking for this. I think it's gonna be something that uh, uh, you'll learn a lot from it. And it just reminds you on how serious this is if you're of an upper management to the compliance arena, what you should be doing. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, we've lined up uh, both Jan Diaz and uh, David Craven, both of Jen, of the Diaz uh, law firm. And uh, I mean, if anyone's on social media or, or anywhere out there looking at, at posts, you'll see that they're constantly always uh, reminding us of different um, scenarios or different cases or whatnot that, that do affect you. Um, sometimes not even knowing that your product is, you know, and then I believe uh, they, they'll have some examples that, that, that talk about that. But this is going to be, um, you know, we're going to dig deep into that in this show. Well, let's get right into it and uh, yeah. get into the show. Let me ask this question to y'all. Is, uh, as we're talking about countervailing duties uh, and anti-dumping uh, duty cases, First off, obviously, it's a different entry type. So with brokers that are transmitting it, that, uh, you know, it's going to be an O3 type. But with that, it puts, you know, it may have the right classification, everything together. But when, as soon as you go into this other entry category, it's like a whole nother ball game, is it not? 8,000%. Okay. And custom dies are on the ball. So with that, it's easier to identify the commodities that may have cases on it, but that's on the custom side. Where do you find that information from the Department of Commerce? And if your commodities even well, that's one in of the major problems. category. A few points on that. Yeah, and it's, right. it's, a, it's a huge issue, a huge issue, because now what you're talking about is looking at a commodity from an HTS standpoint and qualifying the item as to whether or not it is or isn't subject to dumping based upon the HTS alone. And both Commerce and Customs will tell you that's not good enough. 
it's 100% not good enough. And it's not the expectation for an importer to strictly utilize the HTS to absolve them of any ADCVD potential liability. It's your job oh to know that every single scope so important. and to know every single description of every scope. And even if your HTS is not identified in the scope, you may still have liability. And it's up to you as the importer to use your burden of reasonable care to figure that out yourself. Well, let me give you a real, a me, real example insane. of something like that. Um, I import a TV right. cabinet made of wood from India. My TV cabinet, I want to look extra fancy, so I make the top of my TV cabinet out of quartz slab. Quartz slab is subject to a dumping order out of India. It turns out that quartz slab, even if it's incorporated into a piece of furniture, is subject to the dumping order and carries through. So my TV cabinet, which is not subject to dumping, is suddenly partially subject to dumping because I chose to make it out of quartz slab instead of, say, granite. And that's not something that you would ever even think to look if you were importing TV cabinets. You've got your tariff provision, you've isolated it, you've determined it, you've searched the words TV cabinet in the scope of anti-dumping, and you never would have thought that it would have been dragged in potentially into courts. Okay, so David, let that, that, that's a great example that as you're going through that typically compliance-related areas are reactionary. So in other words, a lot of times they don't know that this product is being, you know, designed, manufactured, whatever until it hits the port and then it's in a you know uh you know what mode that's, but that's a big no i mean no no compliance program can be reactionary if you're not looking at the product if, if sales and purchasing are not in touch with compliance at the beginning all you're asking for is trouble so the fact that if that a compliance is department is reactionary you're in trouble already. Just hearing those words, I want to strangle somebody within that company, and that's not the way a company needs to be, unfortunately. Whoever's Jim. doing the purchasing and ordering has to communicate with compliance, yes. but in a perfect world, in the real world, that doesn't exist, and that's why we're 911 operators for trade at my law firm. Right. Because right. everybody to that point, let me ask something, though. Let me jump in here. Is that, matter of fact, there was a uh, some of our other topics that we've had that the very thing is, in today's right. world, you can no longer be reactionary. You've got to be proactive and even to the point where, you know, vetting the vendors, uh, yes. that process has got to include the compliance and, and a thorough vetting of it. But then also as we go through, let me ask this question, yeah. is that as we're talking through these anti-dumping situations uh, in the design and all that, is that what about the liability of the C-suite, is there liability for them if you start bringing these You're talking things? Talking about personal, in? personal liability. Yes, we've got some good stories on that as well. So, <laughs> some really good well, stories. The, but <laughs> yeah, it's, so I've I, seen I, I will, some things where they, they, yeah, it's, I've seen some things where, you know, people try and use the scare tactic. Well, potentially whatever, but I mean, in real world, and, and as it's coming through. 
gaining the support of the upper management and the executive levels is paramount in a compliance arena. But this is one of those things where, as we're looking at it, in particular, you've got, of course, everybody knows the CEO and COO, possibly the CFO, but who and then whatever officer that the logistics and the uh, the compliance uh, uh, rolls up to. So, but Agreed. what what happens in that scenario there with what you're talking? About, it looks like David's example is like the wheels come so off. So let me let me start here without without disclosing too much, and David will happily okay. chime in and and cut me off where I need to be cut off. But right. the reality is, when you have a corporate entity, whatever formation it is, the idea between the company and the individual owners is the company is supposed to shield and protect the owners from personal liability. That's always the intention. Why have a company if the company is not going to be the company liable versus the individual owners that are liable? Like that's the reason you have an entity. That's the reason lawyers yell at people to set up companies to shield the individual from liability. When I see individuals importing, I scream at them consistently. You should never be giving your social security number out. Why? It's idiotic. Create an entity, have that entity be liable. But in this day and age, what we are seeing on the ground, and we have active cases that look like this now, which is very interesting for us because it's a whole new world with customs, is enforcement of ADCVD and collection of revenue by customs right now as the revenue collection agency, which is 100% their role for the Department of Commerce, just like customs collects TTB excise taxes. I have those issues as well. Customs collects ADCVD revenue on behalf of commerce and customs one number one priority trade initiative is making sure they're collecting the right amount of money down to the freaking penny. What is the right amount of money that customs should be collecting? And if customs believes that you're cheating them in any way, shape or form, and not giving customs the right amount of money, whether or not that's transshipment, whether or not that's changing countries of origin, whether or not it's whatever the scenario is, we are seeing customs act more aggressively now than ever I've ever seen before. David's been in this game for 40 plus years. I'm only at almost 20, so I'm a baby. But in my almost 20 years of doing this, I have personally never seen personal liability until this year. Personally, that's my experience. David has experienced seeing personal liability before because he was involved in a different case, but in different instances. But I will tell you, in my 20 years, I am now seeing personal liability for ADCBD wrongdoing, alleged wrongdoing on a personal level versus I would always be able to tell you before this year, have an entity. The entity is what protects you. Can and I, I know add David in. has strong opinions on this, too. Your problem isn't just, in fact, it isn't necessarily even primarily your liability for misacting. Because you can be completely innocent and customs can say, you know what, you did everything you could, but your anti-dump, the product you're importing, is subject to a 570% anti-dumping duty. And you only mark your product up 10%. So my customs penalty is only going to be the most I could assess is 110% of your imported value, but I can collect anti-dumping duties of 500% of your imported value. So this isn't just, am I doing something wrong? It's even if I'm doing something right, but I 
turn out that I was misinformed or had it wrong or commerce changed their position, I could suddenly have my company subject to these massive duties and in theory, thanks to some really horrible Court of Appeals decisions, they might try to go after the officers and individuals for duty. And I'll give you an example. I had a case, and I can't disclose the full detail, but they went after the president and owner of the company, and they went after him for a customs penalty, and they went after him for unpaid anti-dumping duties. And they went after him initially for $300,000 in penalties, and $3.5 million in unpaid anti-dumping duties. And we convinced Customs that he had not done anything wrong, and Customs eliminated the $300,000 penalty. And they still said, but because you were the owner of the company, we're going to imply the law that we're going through, and you must pay the money anyway is the duty. And his response is, but I didn't do anything wrong. That's right. There's no penalty here. But there's three million dollars in duty, and, and, and it's hard to get rid of that money. duty. There, it's not impossible, but it's hard. And I've got a case going on right now where I have a client that their customs is going after them for duty that accrued 17 years ago, and the company involved closed as a business 12 years ago, and the customs is now going after the owners of the old company who have started a new company in a similar but not identical line of business for all that money. And it's un-American, wow. and it shouldn't be happening. And well, you can't make it up. Right, right. But I also, I, I also want to bring up a point that we don't necessarily talk about often, but brokers I'm seeing liability on as yeah. well in a separate entity. So you have the importer, and I tell every importer, your two most important relationships are your broker and your lawyer. So if you don't have a great customs broker, that's another story. I mean, that, that needs to be a, a very important coveted relationship. What we're seeing is customs is also similarly going after brokers saying, you, you broker, you didn't enter this as a type three. Here's your informed compliance letter. Or here's your broker penalty for this. So right. brokers separately are are not out of the loop if if there are misdeclarations to customs that lead to underpayment of ADCBD. It's both the importer who has the duty of reasonable care and the broker that has the duty to reasonably supervise and control, right? Mm -hmm. All right, let's, let's back up for a minute, though. As we're talking through, obviously, it's some uh, really grave consequences if they come after you for the anti-dumping and, and potential uh, risk. And I get it with the brokers because I know the brokers were saying, look, I just used the information from a commodity perspective of what we were provided. And, you know, I've seen these cases like this before. And quite frankly, um, I think customs and or the, the government in this uh, realm is like it's completely unrealistic. It's like how can you penalize me for something that I didn't even have the information? And it, it's gone through so wrong information. Any wrong information. Oh, yeah. We've seen importers that, that literally get wrong information, let's say from a broker that was doing compliance-related work and not even getting paid for it. So that's another story. So that's a huge red flag, and I highly caution brokers to not be external compliance departments for free because I've seen court 
like litigation stem from this where people lose their businesses as a result of that. So doing the, the research and that work beforehand, even if the importer gets wrong information, if customs is owed whatever amount of money, usually millions, I mean, we're seeing hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars owed, customs is a dog with bone. They're going to go after it. So to that extent, and, and let's... Jen, uh, but go ahead. No, go ahead, Andy. I was going to ask about the, well, maybe this might work. Um, I was going to ask, okay, so you're talking about all these, or, and, and David as well, you're talking about all these, um, you know, consequences, but what if I'm sitting, I mean, we see this all the time. We have this guy at Etsy. We have this gal on, on Amazon. They don't have a big corporation behind them. I mean, how, and and they're gladly selling all this stuff coming in. They're under everywhere. greater I mean, risk. <laughs> they're under they greater risk. In? Yes. Well, of course, you know, but right. Cause they, they are the CEO. Too. They are this. They, but Lalo, they get caught too. They really do. And, and what happens is we consistently see those small guys come to us that say, I don't have this kind of money. I, I just right. don't have yeah. it. I'm getting these bills right. from customs that are gazillions of dollars. And do you think I'm made of money? You, I don't have it. I didn't make Let me that give kind you a real life example of how extreme this can be. There was a case a few years ago about a woman in a bar who met somebody who said, will you sign a customs power of attorney for me so that I can make entry in your name? And this person made entry of a bunch oh of um, agricultural products that ended up having a notice of redelivery filed. And the person didn't file the notice of redelivery. And customs went after the woman in the bar who signed the piece of paper and uh, got a penalty of two and a half million dollars against her for basically she said they said well you should have known better than to sign in a power customs power of attorney and the answer is she was in a bar she was probably drunk it, we put <laughs> everything we've been able to tell this woman had no means of support someone offered her 200 bucks to do something that was simply signing a piece of paper versus 200 bucks to do something far nastier and and that insane insane 200 and bucks and a piece of paper and you can ruin your the life the court of international trade yeah. has some good judges and bad judges and she got a bad judge and this judge said no no mitigation and she now has a customs debt attached to her of two and a half million dollars so, Lalo, perfect example of your small company. I mean, we have real-life examples all the time, unfortunately. We've had a client for the last couple of years with a small, small business. Broker gave him advice that the product was not subject to anti-dumping. Imports, no anti-dumping. Next thing you know, half a million dollars well, in bills from CBP. Let me add, the, let me add the big companies. Do do? Customs doesn't go after if I am a 500-person company. Customs doesn't go after the owners, the CEOs, the CFOs. It leaves them alone. It only goes after the owner or the CFO or the CEO if the company is 10 employees or 8 employees. So the big companies all get walks on the penalties. The company might get a penalty, but no individual is going to get a penalty. If I'm Ford Motors... I am not going to have Henry Ford the whatever, the 23rd, is not going to get a personal yeah. penalty 
<laughs> even if he were directly involved, they're just going to leave him alone. But if it's Craven Imports, and it's me and my brother and sister and kids, um, Customs will go after me personally. And so in some ways, it's a bigger problem if you're not a large company. And it's really unfair. So to that extent, let me ask this, David, though. is And I agree, that is completely unfair. But to that point is, as we're talking to it, let's let's get ahead of this ball game because it's you know right now it's like all right I'm scared to death to even import anything, and yet there are people needing to do that. You know, it's, it's stimulating trade internationally is just part of our global economy now. So to that extent, let's let's hey I I want to import a widget and what do I need to do sure. here? Sure. A lot of homework and due diligence. I call that pre-compliance. Right. So in advance of importation, the CBP reasonable care checklist has wonderful notes that I wish was required reading for every importer. So if I had my way, I would require every importer to read 211 pages on importing into the United States, and they would have to take a test. And that asks about reasonable care and their obligations. They would have to understand that they're signing a power of attorney subject to terms and conditions and broker liability is 50 bucks a shipment, yeah. not much. Right. And they would have to understand that compliance internally is a big deal and that they have risks and potential penalties on board. So now when it comes to anti-dumping, within the reasonable care checklist, they talk about this as well. Who's your expert? Where are you getting your information from? So my first question to any business, big or small, is who's your expert? Are you using somebody internally? And if you don't have that expert internally, you must have that expert externally. And are you paying for that advice is my first question. Because if you're not paying for it, it doesn't count. That free advice that you're getting is worth as much as you paid for it. If you're not truly, truly, truly paying for advice, is somebody truly, truly, truly putting time, love, effort into the quality of the advice that they're providing to you? And I question that. Because a lot of people do provide free advice, but at the end of the day, do they really want to be liable for it? Do they really have? Unfortunately, we see a lot of it, and I think a lot of it's out of the goodness of their heart, and they're trying to be great and trying to be helpful. But when it comes to anti-dumping, you have about 10 different sources you have to look through at the same time in order to figure out if your particular product is subject to the scope. I've talked to CBP about this when we were at their summit last week, and I said, look, You've got a new sexy ADCVD page. I love the concept of it. I love the thought and the theory of it. But there's a problem. And the problem is you can't just go to ACE, the automated commercial environment, the ADCVD lookup. That's not good enough. You can't just go to the initiations of investigations. That's not good enough. You can't just go to, you you have so many things you have to search at the same time in order to truly understand and vet whether or not your particular product is potentially subject to an existing ADCVD scope or a potentially existing or initiated ADCVD or something that's coming on the horizon. I mean, the problem is, is it's an area that to me is more confusing than it should be. And it's more difficult than I think it should be, but it's not the same as, for example, reviewing CBP's cross when you're trying to find ADCVD rulings. The public does not have access to access, which is the DOC, the Department of Commerce website. 
you don't have access to see the scope rulings, which are very different than binding rulings. Your binding ruling is for your HTS, your valuation, your country of origin, classification, and so on, your FTA applicability. But that doesn't do anything for you for ADCBD applicability. CBP is not going to opine on that because it's a commerce question, not a CBP question. And that makes it really interesting because now you have two federal agencies that you're dealing with at the same time that both work drastically differently and you're expected and obligated to understand how both of them work. So if you want to truly understand if your product is or isn't compliant or is or isn't subject to an ADCBD scope ruling, technically you have a process where you could ask Commerce via a scope ruling request. That process used to be I would say a little bit more simplified, but you're still party to a litigation. You still have to serve everyone who's part of that particular case. It used to be 45 days and they commerce would find all sorts of reasons to reject and make you refile, which we've seen as a fabulous trick to get another 45 days, for example, out of you. But now you don't even have that 45 day window. It could be more than that 45 days. So in the custom side, if you want a classification ruling, you know you have your 30 days and CBP should be issuing your ruling. That's great assurance for a time period. On the commerce side, you may not get your ruling, your scope ruling back within that 45 days that it used to be. It may not be 60 days, it could be longer. So you potentially have to wait. So in my opinion as a whole, and I want David to give some of his thoughts on this because he's been living, eating and breathing this for so many years. He's my ABCVD guru. You need somebody like a David to say, I've looked at your product. I've looked at the description. I've looked at what I believe your product is and what the intended use is. And I've compared it to my knowledge of the scope rulings of what's going on and what's being initiated. And in my opinion, you don't have anything to worry about, or you really do. These are the scopes we need to look out for, or your HTS may not be included in this scope. But if you look at the description, what your product is, what your product does, what your product's being used for, it's clearly defined inside of the scope in the description. And it really is subject. Okay, we have talked about a lot of detail here, and this is one of those topics that takes a little time to digest, but we continued on the conversation. So for the sake of time, we're ending this first show for now, and go to this part two of this, and you're gonna hear some more good detail in this. So hopefully you'll have time to digest the information you just heard, and we're gonna go now, and don't forget, go to part two, Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review where we listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. 
No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.